What's up, folks? What's up? Yeah, it's me, Zombie Congo again, Dr. O here with another episode of Deciphered. This is episode two. Hope people are starting to log in and tune in. Again, we are doing this every Friday. Just making some adjustments here on this side. Yes, get that where I want it to be, where I want it to be. Excellent. I see you have the bingos in the building. So yes, what are we doing here? The goal of these sessions is I'm just really kind of getting back to the roots of what I love to do, which is this thing we call spoken word poetry. It's really how I got my roots, how I got grounded. Oh, my mom's saying hello, hello, Habadi's Aleo. Sorry, you know, that's what we do. Sup, B-Tex, I see you. And this is episode two. And what, what I've been doing every week is I've just been talking to y'all, sharing my poetry, sharing my spoken word, and then breaking them down and, you know, getting your thoughts. You could also ask questions, particularly those on the gram. You can get your questions in. Those of y'all on Facebook, you know, you could also put down your comments as well. Let me know what you're thinking, how you're feeling. I really appreciate it. And, you know, before I, a lot of the work I've done all across the world it really just came down to my experiences and background as it relates to this thing we call spoken word poetry. And as a public speaker, as a motivational speaker, as a trainer, you know, everything just started with this work. I came out of an environment where, you know, I was bullied heavily and reading the work of Maya Angelou and Nikki Giovanni, you know, really inspired me to get involved in this work. So I started memorizing their poetry before I started writing my own. And so uh, some of the poetry that I'm going to do today, I'm going to do two poems for you. And they come from this book, uh, which is called From the Limbs of My Poetry, shown by See You in the Building. From the Limbs of My Poetry, available on all platforms. Some of the poems I'll do later on will be newer pieces as well. But I'm going to gonna share these, share some thoughts. I see that there's a couple of people who are starting to see that the videos are going live. And so, you know, just give it, you know, another 30 seconds to a minute for other folks to see it. Join in, jump in. And then I'm going to hit you off with these two poems and then break them down in terms of where the lyrics come from. And if you've heard them before or if it's the first time you're hearing them, uh, feel free to get any questions in as well. We can absolutely do that. I hope you all are doing well out there. Hit me in the comments. Let me know how you're doing. Again, we're on Instagram here. We're also on Facebook Live. So you can also check me on the Facebook page. Looking at building that YouTube following so we can start going to YouTube Live. So if you haven't followed me yet on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash Congo and subscribe there so you can get all the videos, not just the, the Ciphered episode stuff, but a lot of the other things that we're going to be doing. A lot of my motivational talks, some of my conference speeches, uh, some things that I'm just talking about when I'm in my home, my thoughts on things going on in the political space. Uh, you could also check that out as well. So I appreciate y'all. And I'm going to start getting to my first poem. And this, I also put out these poems on multiple CDs. You could also go to iTunes and, and, and find them there as well and, and get, get everything you need from there. I try to put everything in all of the platforms so I can reach everybody, whether you're a, a visual learner, whether you're more auditory, you know, whether you are someone who is, you know, you got to see it, you got to read it, or you got to hear it. I do my best to be there for you. So let's get started. This first piece that I'm going to share with you all is called Hell. <clears throat> You know, it has been said that we are living in the greatest nation on earth, that we are experiencing an economic prosperity never known to mankind. You see, most homes have TVs and PCs, and many believe that they will finally get that pot of gold at the end of the American rainbow. But are we really living in the best of times or the worst of times? Because through time, it has become quite evident that we have never lived in a paradise of heaven sent proportions. For if you take portions of everyone's respective lives to form one collective memory, you would soon see that we are all living in hell. 
For what does economic affluence mean to the man who lost his family because he fell in love with Wall Street? What do millions of dollars of reparations mean to that Holocaust survivor who would happily spend her last dime to see her family just one last time? What about that African-American soldier who was slain in World War II at the hands of a Nazi, but whose family will not see his name in any of the history books? And where is heaven for that slave descendant who has yet to see his first dime after 350 years of unpaid labor? I mean, what does a chance at a great education mean, though, to that Latino who voluntarily loses his language, culture, and history in a vain attempt at assimilation? Or that Native American who, in his own nation, is refused his piece of the American pie because he arrived at the table without his reservation? What about that Korean employee working at Mickey D's who can't even be proud of a war her people could have won because she lost her unarmed son at no gun re? <clears throat> and what about brothers given the death penalty after already being sentenced to life in hell as black men in America? I mean, is there really heaven on earth for the immigrant hired help putting in top effort for less than minimum wage? Or the college brown brother whose blood was smothered in a case of road rage? How can you sit there happily in peace while little babies are crying and dying trapped in the middle east meets west? Yes, in a clash of civilizations, while certain developing nations face starvation, children walking around with bloated stomachs and emaciated bodies while we walk proudly with bloated pockets and emaciated minds, wearing our $200 sweatsuit from a sweatshop run in Thailand by Reebok, too busy watching TV on our laptops that we can't hear the guns pop, pop, pop that killed Amadou, which ironically stopped just before they reached 42, which in the time of Horus or Heru meant divine judgment. You see, it's coming. So can you emerge from your matrix long enough to see that there can be no rich without poor and no peace without war? That there's only a need for Ivy Leagues as long as community colleges strive to be respected by the mainstream? That there can only be developing nations at the bottom as long as rich nations live lavishly at the top? And that there would be no billionaire record executives without negative lyrics in hip-hop? The next time you look into the mirror, stare deep into your eyes and realize that the good life for you is not about someone else's hell. So it's really all just a gigantic wishing well. So let all of us who have experienced success bless the world of our knowledge and not live comfortably on the edge of selfishness. For if you spend your entire life devoted to material wealth while drinking and smoking yourself into declining health, if you choose not to take the time to serve those less fortunate than we, then hell will be arriving at your door much faster than you can blink and sooner than you think. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate you tuning in. Um, I see Angel. What's up? What's going on? I see you on Facebook. Let me know that you're here so I can shout you out as well. Um, we're going to talk about this poem right now. Just Again, it's called Hell from the book, From the Limbs of My Poetry. And I want to break it down a little bit. And then I'm going to get into one more poem for you all today. So I appreciate you joining me. So let's go to hell. Well, that didn't come off right. I meant let's go to it in the book. <laughs> so I can talk about it a little bit. So, you know, maybe some of y'all who ain't feeling it feels that is where I should go. But, you know, keep that to yourself. I'm just saying. So I said, this was also a poem that was written around 2001, somewhere between 2001, 2003. Lots of things that are going on as it relates to 9-11, as it relates to Afghanistan and Iraq and all of that. So, <laughs> yeah, it'd be text you six that I'm saying. Um, so... My mindset was wrapped around a lot of these issues that were going on in the world. And so I said, it's been said that we're living in the greatest nation on earth, that we're experiencing an economic prosperity never known to mankind. And, you know, quite honestly, though, this poem was written almost 20 years ago. Think about what we're going through right now and how this poem can relate to what's going on right now. We're experiencing an economic prosperity never known to mankind. 
But are we really living in the best of times or the worst of times? Taken from the classic book there, right? Uh, we all know the story. We all know the book. Um, Dickens, right? So most homes have TVs and PCs. But are we really living in the best of times? Because it has become quite evident that we have never lived in a paradise of heaven-sent proportions. For if you take portions of everyone's respective lives to form one collective memory, you soon see that we are all living in hell. What do you describe what people are going through right now? If you take portions of what people are going through, yes, this is 20 years ago, but now with the pandemic that's going on, a lot of people are going through hell through job loss, most importantly, family loss. It's a really tough time. And so I start to break it down as it relates to individuals about what they're going through as well. So one question I ask, what does economic affluence mean to the man who lost his family because he fell in, in love with Wall Street? What I'm talking about there is people who spend so much time committed to their careers that they lose their family, that they lose their engagement with the people who are their loved ones, the people who they often claim they're working hard, so hard for. You get the money, but you lose your family. You know, Willie Jolly once said at one point that, you know, in your careers, you know, we're juggling a lot of balls. And only one of those balls is made out of glass. And that one is, is your family. You lose that. You can't, if that shatters, you can't put it back together. And so that's what that line is about. What do millions of dollars in reparations mean to that Holocaust survivor who would happily spend her last dime to see her family just one last time? People talk about the importance of reparations, and I feel like they are needed and they are important, whether it's Holocaust survivors, whether it's Japanese, whether it's black people in America, across the world. I do believe that they're important, but if people had the opportunity to see that grandfather, to see their great aunt or their, you know, their brother or loved one one more time, that is just invaluable, and that's what I'm speaking to there. Uh, what about the African-American soldier slain in World War II at the hands of a Nazi, but whose family will not see his name in any of the history books? So clearly I'm playing off a Nazi and Nazi there, but also I'm talking about the stories of black people during World War II that never get told and how problematic that is for, for, for many of us. Uh, I, I remember I once heard a story from Joe Madison who talked about even during World War II, black soldiers who were involved with capturing Nazi soldiers had to ride in the back of the bus when transporting the Nazi soldiers. They still got to ride in the front because their whiteness superseded anything. And hearing stories like that just are those are the types of stories that we just do not see in our books. And so that's why I wanted to talk about with that one. And where is heaven for the slave descendant was yet to see his first dime after 350 years of unpaid labor? What does that say? Uh, what does a chance at a great education mean, though, to that Latino who voluntarily loses his language, culture, and history in a vain attempt at assimilation? I'm saying that to everybody, but I'm saying here, particularly for people in our Latin community, that, you know, the importance of don't lose your culture to try to blend into a society that may not even really want you. And that goes for everybody. What have you done to try to fit in when you realize you should be trying to stand out? And that's what I'm talking about. Don't lose who you are to be part of a society that doesn't really respect who you are in the first place. That's a recipe for disaster and you're never going to be completely whole. And so that's what I mean by that line. Or what about that Native American who in his own nation is refused his piece of the American pie because he arrived at the table without his reservation? So I'm obviously playing off the of Native Americans living on reservations, but still not being incorporated and being part of America, of the American pie. What about that Korean employee working at Mickey D's who can't even be proud of a war her people could have won because she lost her unarmed son at No Gun Re. So No Gun Re is actually a place where, you know, many uh, Koreans were, were killed during the war. And I'm, I'm playing off of No Gun Re 
and talking about no guns. I'm talking about people, you know, and but that also can play into what we're talking about so much today with issues relating to Black Lives Matter and the like, and many of us being killed in the streets who have no guns on us as well. So that's what I'm playing off of, no gunnery and no gunnery. And what about brothers given a death penalty after already been sentenced to life in hell as black in America? And I'm not just talking about prison. I'm talking about everyday racism that people are dealing with, not just black men, black women as well, black children as well, the entire black community and lots of communities. Even right now, how does it play into today where you see so many people in the Asian community dealing with racism as well? So we're still talking about people being sentenced to life in hell, even if they are not in prison. That's what I'm talking about there. Is there really heaven on earth for that immigrant hired help putting in maximum effort for less than minimum wage? We, we know what that's speaking to. So many people working illegally in this country, not getting the rights that they deserve, and they're treated like not even second-class citizens, but third-class citizens because they're afraid that if they speak up and, 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 and write out their boss about the conditions they're working in, they're going to get deported or get reported, and we see that that's up more and more. So that's what I'm talking about there. Or that college brown brother whose blood was smothered in a case of road rage. Too many of us dying unnecessarily. How can you sit there happily in peace? Little babies crying and dying trapped in the middle east meets west. I'm talking about the age-old battles between what's been going on, Palestinians, Israelis, the east versus the west in terms of lots of conflict. Um, I say the east meets west. Yes, in a clash of civilizations while certain developing nations face starvation. Children walking around in bloated stomachs and emaciated bodies while we walk proudly with bloated pockets and emaciated minds. I'm speaking to a lot of the commercials many of us grew up seeing. You know, they focus a lot on Ethiopia during that time where, you know, people, kids had their stomachs bulging and the like. So that's why I talk about bloated stomachs and emaciated, but they're, they're thin, razor thin. And I see people with bloated stomachs and emaciated bodies, but we're walking with bloated pockets and emaciated minds. I mean, we got the money, but our minds are thin in terms of the knowledge that we have and the knowledge that we're willing to put on so we can learn about other people and their struggles in the world. That's what I mean by that line. Almost done with this poem, and then we're going to hop on to the next poem. So I see you on Facebook as well. I see you on the gram joining. Let me know you're here so I can shout you out as well. Appreciate you. And so from there... I talk about wearing $200 sweatsuit running, made in from a sweatshop running Thailand by Reebok. Too busy watching TV and our laptops that we can hear the guns pop, pop, pop. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm talking about sweatshop factory labor for Reebok, for Nike and Adidas. You know, particularly years ago, this was a big problem, but it's still a problem now. Some changes have been made, but generally speaking, there are still people working around the world for, you know, pretty much nothing. And so that's what I'm talking about. Then I said, too busy watching TV. Back then I said DVDs on our laptops. Who watches DVDs anymore? That we can't hear the gas pop, pop, pop that killed Amadou. I'm talking about Amadou Diallo, you know, who was shot 41 times while reaching for his wallet. You know, an African immigrant in New York who was shot 41 times reaching for his wallet. Uh, and I say, that's why I say, ironically, the shop stopped just before they reached 42 which in the time of Horace O'Heru. Jamal, what's up? I see you. God, oh, appreciate you, man. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed those free college programs as well. I'm glad to see you. Um, <clears throat> so when I talk about just before they reach 42, which in the time of Horace O'Heru meant divine judgment, you see, it's coming. I'm talking about the 42 principles of Ma'at, which is something that my mom, you know, taught us, you know, back, back in the day, talking about these things and, you know, uh, in our culture in Congo, you know, she called it Lusanzu, you know, which talks about, you know, these things called the negative confessions. And so it's playing back on that, you know, these are divine things, you know, for, for, for many people that, that they experience. And so, you know, between my mom, you know, sharing me about that stuff, you know, my father getting me deep into ancient Egyptian uh, mythology as well, 
That's what I'm playing off of there. So you can emerge from your matrix. Obviously, the matrix, the movie, Keanu Reeves, classic there, no doubt. <clears throat> Just, if you haven't seen it, now's a good time to see it. You ain't going nowhere. Long enough to see that there could be no rich without poor. No peace without war. Only need for Ivy Leagues as long as community colleges strive to be respected by the mainstream. You know, I'm talking about the disparities that exist between so many people who are in our Ivy League institutions versus some of our other areas and community colleges and less funded universities, finance universities, a lot of our HBCUs that aren't getting the money and resources that they deserve. That's what I'm talking about there as well. And there would be no billionaire record executives without negative lyrics in hip hop. What am I talking about there? So much of the music industry's success has been built off of the stereotypes and, and proliferation of black stereotypes. Whether we're talking about the women and the sexual images, the black man as thug or sexual deviant, no doubt, you know, this is, these have been real issues. And a lot of people whose names and faces we'll never see have profited a lot off of those. And I don't feel like they would be as successful without those images. So let us have, uh, have so those who are experienced success. Oh, the good life for you is not but someone else's hell. It's really just a gigantic wishing wall. What you're going through, somebody else may be going through something different. So let's all use our success to bless the world of our knowledge. Not live comfortably on the edge of selfishness. You spend your entire life devoted to material wealth while drinking and smoking yourself into declining health. You choose not to take the time to serve those less fortunate than we. Then hell will be arriving at your door much faster than you can blink and sooner than you think. And it reminds me of that saying that, you know, I'm messing it up, but, you know, the whole idea of, you know, they came for this group, I didn't support them. They came for the next group, I didn't support them. And finally, someone came for me. There was no one there to have my back. And, you know, really at the end of the day right now, this is an all-hands-on-deck approach that we need in this society to really make sure that everybody is getting what they need. And to hoard stuff, to be in positions where you're not helping people and you know that you can, it's, it's just a matter of time before it arrives at your door. And so we got to really keep that in mind. So that's the first poem, y'all. It's called Hell. Uh, if you got any questions or comments about it, you know, you can let me know. You can you can drop that into the questions or into the comments. We appreciate that. And then I'm going to go into my next one. I'm just looking it up right now. I'm just looking it up right now. Oh, I'm not going to save that one. Well, I do want to do it. So maybe I will do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So this next one, I haven't done this one in a while. I haven't done this one in a while. So I'm going to keep my book next to me because if I do uh, skip out on a line or, or forget a line, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to jump back into that. So y'all gonna have to forgive her, brother. I like to do everything off the cuff, you know what I mean. But sometimes that's just not the case. So let me just make sure that I find it first. There we are. This poem is entitled "Act This Way." All right, so let's get it in. Let's see how this thing starts. Put this down over here. I'm keeping next to me. Act this way. To our complacent black actors, athletes, and artists out there, I ask, where's the outrage? Spending all your time on stages and not giving a damn for what's going on behind cages with our brothers and sisters like Maya Angelou's birds. It's absurd because you act like you ain't heard that there's wars going on in too many parts of the world, but you're only concerned of bling-blinging, so you have no regard for what you're singing. Since you're rapping about your bulletproof cars and vests and your head's not even mind-proof yet. 
Then you got these artists out there dropping these snippets of, snippets of consciousness claiming that they love our sisters, telling them to keep your head up, but it's only because they're on their knees and can't reach your testes. Then you got these artists out there claiming that they're hardcore down to the meat on their bones, but off stage they're vegetarian revolutionaries because there's no meat behind their words. And see, it's also absurd because you got these black actors and actresses performing acrobatics on mattresses for Academy Awards, telling our queens they can make it if they act like whores because deplorable images of women is what sells. And what the hell is up with these actors trying to play action heroes and in reality they're just ramble sambles but since they're also playing historical figures sometimes I guess they're more like sambo ramble so hamble hamble have you heard I'm just trying to figure out how to kill two mockingbirds with one stone because I'm tired of seeing these poems every single day getting out here talking about these oops oh no 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 that's why I keep it that's why I keep it close that's why I keep it close and this is so absurd because oh so hamble hamble have you heard I'm just trying to figure out how to kill three mockingbirds with one poem so leave me alone as I blast these rappers with their chrome and iced out Jesus pieces while I'm seeing these so-called conscious artists sporting their platinum star and crescents while these actors play historical figures who were all about the revolution and not eagle tripping. When I'm looking for y'all at the real life rally, ain't no one here but us chickens. Or better than chickens, you're more like popcorn kernels. You see you're brown on the TV, but when the microwave heat of reality is put on you, pop white. I mean, what the hell are you working for from Stephen Fetcher to Stefan Raquel? I'm sick of all of the cowardice and buffoonery. It's like all of your affluenza has given you influenza because you've become cold to our causes since you're only concerned of audience applauses. And I'm just mad because I can't get you in real life to act like an activist because society's got you squeezed like a fresh glass of OJ Simpson with poor blacks rallying because he was acquitted and not giving a damn that his politics never fitted our community like a glove. While on dub, our musicians are holding it down from East Coast to West Coast to Slave Coast with their platinum shackles and football players only concerned at making tackles while I can't even get a quarterback on some reparations thrown my way. And in b-ball, our people don't give a damn about the people of Iraq or Hebron's pain because they're too busy trying to be the next LeBron James. So to those celebrities out there who this applies to, stop letting your status draw you from reality and stop driving me to insanity with all your profanity. Getting million dollar signing bonuses? And you still ain't saying nothing. Well, too many of us are content to sitcom, watching sitcoms and listening to whack songs that we don't care for a song as long as it has a nice beat. We don't realize that our minds being lulled to sleep while these other folks make TV shows with child geniuses like Doogie Howser, Whistler bringing down the house of movies like Soul Plane and all that other yowza, yowza, yowza. So y'all got to forgive me if I sound like I'm talking out of place. I'm just trying to see in fake gangsters and active athletes and black folks and blackface. I want to see y'all celebrities become more respectful and be more humble because they're single-handedly destroying 500 years worth of the struggle. Yes, and that is act this way. That is act this way. And like I said, I keep that book handy. And it's National Poetry Month, so of course we're talking about poetry books and, and recognizing that. I appreciate that, Jamal, for that commentary. And again, I wrote this poem because I wanted to challenge all of our celebrities out there to get engaged. And this was before... You know, what was going on with Trayvon Martin and a lot of people joining in terms of like wearing the hoodies and activist celebrities were doing that. But, you know, prior to that, I was not seeing a lot of the younger, more famous celebrities really speaking up about a lot of social justice issues. You know, obviously you had Harry Belafonte's and, you know, uh, the, the people like that and the Danny Glovers and, and a lot of other people. But I felt like a lot of the people who are the big stars across a lot of these industries we're not speaking up the way that they need to. Thank you, BTEC79. I appreciate that. And so that's why I wrote this poem. I play off of a lot of things in here. So, you know, I will, you know I'm going to start to break it down. 
spending all your time on stages, not giving a damn what's going on with our brothers and sisters behind cages like Maya Angelou's birth. That's a shout out to Maya Angelou. Y'all know my rap name is Mighty African Youth Advocate, M-A-Y-A, Young Maya. And it's a shout out to her. Uh, you know, I know why the caged bird sings. That's what I'm talking about there. You act like you ain't heard that there's wars going on in too many parts of the world, but you're only concerned with bling blinging. So no regard for what you're singing. Rapping about your bulletproof cars and vests and your head's not even mind proof yet. And, you know, people with 50 Cent, you know, make the albums, you know, with the bulletproof covers on and all of that. You know, we're talking about this bulletproof cars and this, but what are we doing to mind-proof our minds for all of the nonsense that's being put out there? And what are we doing to, to help stop, put out the nonsense throughout our own music and my own artistry, which is something I've wanted to do or attempt to do, you know, my entire life with my art from the very beginning. Some of y'all drop these snippets of consciousness out, claiming that you love our sisters, telling them to keep your head up, but it's only because they're on their knees and... You can figure that one out, but that's also Keep Your Head Up is from Tupac's, you know, classic song. Then you got these artists out there claiming that they're hardcore down to the meat on their bones, but offstage they're vegetarian revolutionaries because there's no meat behind their words. A lot of these guys talk a good game, but once the cameras go off, if they say anything on camera at all, once the cameras goes off, you don't see them. You can't find them. And so that's what we're talking about as it relates to... So I was playing off the meat on their bones and vegetarian revolutionaries. It's absurd because you got these actors and actresses performing acrobatics on mattresses for Academy Awards. Um, telling our young queens they can make it if they act like whores because deplorable images of women is what sells. I'm thinking, I was thinking about, you know, one of Halle Berry's, Halle Berry's roles from, from Monster... And, you know, I'm thinking about Denzel Washington's role from Training Day. And it's not, you know, condemning them. It's about what Hollywood tends to, tends to realize as it relates to, you know, these two individuals, just using these two, for example, have put out so many incredible roles, so many incredible performances. And the things that get them the, the, these nominations and the awards are playing a criminal and, you know, Halle Berry, you know, uh, exposing herself in terms of her, 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 her breasts for the first time in these movies. And these are some of the things that get them the nomination. And if I'm wrong off the nominations, you know, just correct me. I have no problem being corrected. But I think that's problematic because it sends a message to a lot of other young people, aspiring actors and things out there, that this is what you got to do to kind of get the attention that you just, that you feel you want in Hollywood. And again, I feel like we're at a point now where, you know, we can we can do better. And what the hell up with these act, these brothers trying to be action heroes, and in reality, they're just ramble samples. But since they're also playing historical figures, sometimes they're more like sample rambles. So I'm just trying to figure out how to kill three mockingbirds with one poem. So leave me alone as I blast these rappers with their chrome and iced out Jesus pieces while these so-called conscious artists sport their platinum star and crescents. And so, you know, there's a lot of artists out there who are good with putting out the look of being a revolutionary, but are not really revolutionary. They may come out with the red, black, and green, or the Africa medallions, or may talk about this and that, but they're not really out there doing the work, and how that's, that's just really problematic for me. While these actors play historical figures who are all about the revolution and not ego tripping, but I'm looking for y'all at the real-life rally. Ain't no one here but us chickens playing off of Steph and Fetch It, you know, from back in the day, those real old-school movies, you know, the shucking and jiving and the like. Now, a lot of people don't know that in real life, you know, Steph and Fetch It, you know, was, a real, was, was an activist and was helping a lot of causes. But I'm going back to the images, you know, that we saw uh, on the television. Because people talk a good game, but they won't show up at the meetings. They won't show up at the rallies. Better than chickens, you're more like popcorn kernels. Playing on some more words here. You're white, uh, you're brown on TV, but when the microwave heat on reality is put on, you pop white. Because kernels are like brown and then they pop and then they're. You get the idea. So, they, you know, so where, you know, when it's time to really show up and do the work, you're not really doing that work. So, where are you? 
It's like all of the affluenza from Seven Fetches to Sephora Kell. It's like all of the affluenza has given you influenza because you've become cold to our causes. So you're extremely rich, but you're not really caring about the community. And now that's very problematic because sometimes the more people get, more money they get, the more drawn away they get from their communities. And that's, you know, just, that's not right. That's not cool at all. You should get more engaged with the more income that you get because you can do more for more people. Obviously financially, but also just with your voice and your platform. More concerned about audience applauses, but you don't want to lose revenue. You don't want to lose your sponsorships and the like. But, you know, somebody once said that... Uh, uh, the difference between a moment and a movement is sacrifice. So, yeah, you can tweet out something and reshare something, but we need you out there really speaking. And, you know, you might lose a career, but what if you lose your entire your entire community gets lost because you didn't speak up for a cause? And I'm just mad because I get, get you in real life to act like an activist because society's got you squeezed like a fresh glass of O.J. Simpson. You see what that is? With poor blacks rallying because he was acquitted and not giving a damn that his politics never fitted our community like a glove. So that's, you know, going off of the comment, you know, if it doesn't fit, you most acquit. And, you know, the glove that was being shown, you know, during the trial and, and the like, because that was a major part of the trial. Well, I'm done. My musicians are holding it down from East Coast to West Coast to Slave Coast with their platinum shackles people wearing these chains around their necks and things but to me oftentimes they still look like shackles to me like slave shackles to me while football players only concern of making tackles while i can't even get a quarterback on some reparations thrown my way so obviously i'm talking about quarterback as it relates to money getting a quarter cent given back to me i can't even get that but i'm also playing off of quarterbacks in the nfl Talking about having having it thrown their way. So that's what I'm playing off there. Hope you like that. And in B-ball, our kids don't give a damn about the people of Iraq or Hebron's pain because they're too busy trying to be the next LeBron James. And yeah, yeah, everyone knows I'm a, I'm a fan of LeBron James, no doubt. And I want people to not only follow him on the basketball court, but follow his activism and his engagement, the work that he's been doing with schools, the work that he's been doing to support Black Lives Matter, um, the Ali exhibit at the African American Museum, all of those things. Don't just model him on the court, model him off the court. And he's been very intentional about being public with his activism and service because I believe he and other guys, uh, Dwayne Wade and the like, want people to follow in line with that because growing up for me, I didn't see a lot of celebrities vocally out there publicizing their work that they were doing or their uh, engagement in on the activist spaces. And a lot of, maybe it's because a lot of the Jordan, John, Maddie Johnson era guys were focusing on just getting popular. They didn't want to lose stuff. I don't know. I'm not here to critique them um, right now, but I'm just talking about the difference between what I see then versus what I see now. And there's a lot more freedom that these athletes had before that they didn't have. But even back then, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, you know, people made those sacrifices for their career as well. So we can't ignore that. So, to those celebrities out there, stop uh, drawing, stop letting your status draw you from reality. Stop driving me to insanity of all your profanity. Million dollar bonus, signing bonuses, still ain't saying nothing. Too many of us are content to sit calm, watching sitcoms, listening to whack songs. We don't care if it's on as long as it has a nice beat. We don't realize our minds being low to sleep. How many times do you find yourself just bopping and dancing to the music, but it's saying the most ignorant and disrespectful stuff about you or your community, but we just like the beat? We got to do a little bit better, because especially when I travel the world and I'm talking to people and they're greeting me, they're like, yo, what's up, my nigga? Or, you know, uh, stuff like that. I'm like, where are you getting this from? They're saying they learn English through hip hop. And one of the things KRS-One said in one of his songs that Mike, you speak through goes from here to Mogadishu and how you represent us is the issue. And I feel like we got to do better. 
that our minds being lulled to sleep while these white folks make TV shows with child geniuses like Doogie Howser. That was a TV show, Doogie Howser. He was like a teenage doctor or genius or some prodigy of some sort. So that's where that's coming. And Michael, I see you. What's going on? Uh, so that's where that 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 mayor of that reference comes in. Then I say we're still bringing down the house, which was a, a show with movies like Soul Plane and all that other yowza, yowza, yowza. Just talking about my frustration with so many of these movies that are still putting off these negative stereotypes. And these are older movies, but as you all know, we're still seeing it happen today. I'm just tired. So y'all can forgive me for talking out of place. I'm just tired of seeing fake gangsters, inactive athletes, and black folks in blackface. Yes, I'm playing off of that blackface from the minstrel shows that, you know, these white actors uh, used to wear, you know, back in the day. I feel like sometimes what our celebrities are doing, they're putting off that same imagery as well. And just because they're black doesn't mean that it should be excused. I want to see our celebrities respect. I have actually in the book, I have our in quotation marks, actually. I want to see our celebrities become more respectful and be more humble because they're single-handedly destroying 500 years worth of the struggle. And of course, it's not just them. Uh, we got a lot of things, obstacles and barriers that are in our place. But I feel like some of the work that they're doing is setting us back in ways that we don't really need right now. And I just need them to step up and use their platform for good. So those are our two poems for today. Got hell and then act this way. Uh, any thoughts or questions or comments? I'm going to grab a little water, a little parched here. And so, yes, this is episode two of the Cypher. It's National Poetry Month and, you know, coincidentally, of course, you know, but this is going to continue on after that. And I really appreciate it. And, you know, these will be available later. We're going to share them, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. They're going to be everywhere. You can find them. So please, please keep engaging. Keep letting people know. Every Friday, we're going to be here getting it in. I appreciate you tuning in for the show today. And we will catch you next time. Stay strong. Stay safe. I uh, see Kedra's joining. I appreciate it. Got my two poems in. So we're going to keep going, man. We're going to keep going. And if you have poems that you've seen me do before, maybe online or somewhere, and you want me to perform them, you can email me. That's all good. I appreciate that. Uh, Miss Slate, a couple of people are joining in right now. I feel like I need to do something else, right? But, you know, you can let me know and say, hey, I saw you do this poem. Can you break this poem down? Can you jump into this other spot and, you know, say what you meant during this line? I mean, there's tons of poems that I've done. There's tons of poems that I'm going to be doing in the future. So every Friday, we're going to be here at 11. Put it down in your calendars. Mark it down because we would love to be able to break down some of these poems. And again, they come from um, most of the poems I started with are coming from this book, uh, from the limbs of my poetry. See, I was trying to be our artistic there, uh, you know, poetry. All right, you, you say you, you, you missed it. All right, look. So I'm going to have to do uh, one more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do one more because, you know, people are just coming in and I just feel like you're here. I'm here. I got the book. I got the rhymes. I got the stuff. So let me let me just hop into another one. Let me see. Oh, I'm going to go into this one because uh, this is one that is called Pulse of the Motherland. And we talked about it, but I want to jump into this again because I feel like, you know, some people uh, may have missed it. So I want to jump into that. Right. So let's let's hop into that because we're talking staying on that media images. That first last poem I gave you was on the uh, on TV images in the United States. But since episode one also didn't get saved the way I wanted it to, I got an opportunity right now to hit you off with this one from the first poem again. So this one is moving from African media, from Afro media images of African Americans to African media images. All right. So here we go. Pulse of the Motherland. 
They say, oh, some of y'all wondering what the shirt says. It says Upstander. Upstanderinternational.com is where you can find everything. So let's hit this poem again. They say that you can't judge a book by its cover. But it has become appallingly clear that you can judge an entire continent by its media coverage. You see, you can color an entire continent dark with the paint of poorly placed perception when you rely on the media to teach you your Africa lessons. Because I come from a continent that the world thinks is a country. And to put it bluntly, we're all HIV positive until proven negative in the eyes of the media. It's like Africa's either one big safari or Kalahari with seething heathens and no sense of religion and home to animals and animism because TV renditions of African afflictions have created a depiction of a land of savages where the world's most dreadful diseases exceeds the law of averages. And since American TV only shows you the ravages of a select few nations, most Americans juxtapose the mother of civilization with phrases like damnation and starvation. And so until we take control of our own images, we can't expect to see a true representation of our beauty. Most non-Africans believe that the most Africa has contributed to the world are phrases like Hakuna Matata and Asante Sana Squash Banana, along with exotic vacations in remote locations because I ain't never heard an American TV news station even say that we're made up of 55 nations. In the eyes of the media, we're just underdeveloped wannabe Caucasians still searching for civilization if you buy the media's interpretation of who we are. But am I taking this too far? Because to me, the real problem be the WB, ABC, and NBC, which are the real WB. WMD, weapons of mind destruction, because most people, including many Africans, only see what they see through the smart bombs they call TV. And it's not just a newscast. It starts at like age three, because I grew up watching images of Bugs Bunny dressed in grass skirts and blackface, speaking in African dialects. And every 10 years, there's a new version of Tarzan on the TV set. And I don't know about y'all, but I recall seeing gorillas pass for Africans in those Tintin cartoons. And if you remove Marvin Marshall's helmet from Looney Tunes, he's probably an illegal African alien or a famine-stricken African child of his belly protruded. And it's these convoluted images that have helped create grown-up policymakers who partially base their opinions of our homeland from films such as Congo, Gorillas in the Mist, and the Air Up There, and We Can't Forget Tears of the Sun, which left too many tears on the sons and daughters of Africa searching for a positive portrayal of who we are. But that won't happen until we as Africans take responsibility for our portrayal because the betrayal of our friends from CBS, Fox, and CNN means that we will never see an end to these characterizations of the continent of human creation, which hasn't made to look like she's on her deathbed and ready for cremation. But we must show the world that our mother Africa is strong, vibrant, and defiant because the pulse of nearly a billion people can never die once we take control of what the world sees. And so we can never comply with pictures painted by pessimists on TV of our homeland because we, you and me, we are the pulse of Mother Africa, and we must now show the world how proudly we will stand. All right, so I get, I'm going to break that down for those of you all who are new and didn't get that poem because the last time we did it, it also didn't say, um, Bernadette, I see you. I see you. I see you all who dropped it. Uh, thank you. Oh, no doubt. But I'm going to break this down, Pulse of the Motherland. So I'm not going to perform it. I'm going to break it down. So for y'all who are just tuning in, you can still hear me talk a little about, about the lyrics. So Pulse of the Motherland, going to page 34 of From the Limbs of My Poetry. What's up, Bernadette? I see you. Uh, so, they say you can't judge a book by its cover. No doubt. That's a classic line. But it's appallingly clear that you can judge an entire continent by its media coverage. Most people learn what they learn about Africa through television, 
not even television done by African people, not reading, not reading books by African authors and the like. It's mostly through Western television and Western eyes. And that forms the opinion of what many people think. When I do my speaking engagements, I often say to people that, you know, the United States can only handle one African conflict per decade. So like in the 80s, it was Ethiopia. In the 90s, it was uh, Rwanda. In the early 2000s, it was Sudan. And now like other countries are like fighting for that attention. But we don't get the real attention that Africa should be getting. So it's up to us. So that's why I say you can color an entire continent dark with that paint of poorly placed perception. When you rely on the media to teach you your Africa lessons, you cannot rely on this media to teach you about our continent. Because I come from a continent that the world thinks is a country. And like I said before, people talk about traveling the world. They don't talk about going to uh, different places. Like They say Brazil, going to South Korea, and then they talk about going to Africa. Many of us have done it. I know that I've done it. But we're talking about a 55-nation continent that needs to get the respect that it is that it deserves because I come from a continent that the world thinks is a country. And to put it bluntly, we're all HIV positive until proven negative in the eyes of the media. People treat us like we're diseased first. They speak about us like we're garbage first. They speak about us like we're people who are worthy of not being part of mainstream society because we're diseased and we're savage. That's the first impression that many of people get about us. So that's why I say we might as well be positive until we have to prove ourselves because we're always in that point where we got to prove this to people, which is problematic. It's like Africa is either one big safari or Kalahari with seething heathens, no sense of religion, home to animals and animism. People talk about Africans worshiping animal spirits and statues and like, but I'm in D.C. and I see statues all the time. So, you know, it matters. You know, the language matters. It's like when you talk about tattoos versus scarification, right? When you change some of the, when you talk about, you know, statues down in D.C., but then with Africans, they talk about, or Native Americans, they talk about idol worship. These types of things make people look like animals in the face of people. And so that language part really matters. TV renditions of African afflictions have created a depiction of a land of savages, where the world's most dreadful ex diseases exceeds the law of averages. This American TV only shows you the ravages of a select few nations. What have you seen on television related to the African continent? Even today, most Americans juxtapose the mother of civilization with phrases like damnation and starvation. And so until we take control of our own images, we can expect to see a true representation of our beauty. Throughout this poem, I come back and back and back to the importance of people of African descent taking responsibility for putting out our own media images. And a lot of people have been doing that. And I've been part of some of those initiatives. And I continue to be a part of them in any way that I can. But there's so many going on without me as well, which I think is in, in, in really important. What's up, Rich? I see you. I'm just talking about this poem, Pulse of the Motherland. Now... Most non-Africans believe that the most Africa has contributed to the world are phrases like Hakuna Matata and Asante Sana, Squash Banana, obviously playing off the Lion King, but I'm simplifying the very simplistic view that so many people have of Africa, of just barbarians and savages and trees and no buildings and no roads. And for those of us who know better, we, we know better. Uh, most non-Africans believe that the most, uh, we talked about that, or, uh, or along with exotic vacations in remote locations, because I've never heard an American TV news station even say that we're made up of 55 nations. Because people always talk about us like we're a country. 
in the eyes of the media, underdeveloped, wannabe Caucasians. That's who we are. Still searching for civilization if you buy the media's interpretation of who we are. But am I taking this too far? Because to me, the real problem be the WB, ABC, and NBC, which are the real WMD, weapons of mind destruction. Not weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mind destruction, which can hurt people by the masses. Because they're putting out these images, this propaganda, this ignorance, this just whack views of who we are that's problematic. And so but they're influencing the mind because most people who don't go to the continent will never see the continent. They're only going to get it from television because too many people, including many Africans, see what they see through the smart bombs they call TV. These TVs are like smart bombs. And it's not just a newscast. It starts at like age three because I grew up watching images of Bugs Bunny dressed in grass skirts and blackface, speaking in African dialects. Every 10 years, there's a new version of Tarzan on the TV set. When you look at history and propaganda... The first way people introduce negative images to people is through cartoons. Look at those World War II cartoons with Bugs Bunny, how they made the Germans and the Japanese look, right? Because if you can start to get the kids laughing or get the adults laughing just a little bit, then you start to start talking about, well, let's look at the education. What can we do with the textbooks? What can we do? And then you start getting into policy. Then you start getting into job discrimination. And before you know it, you literally end up with concentration camps or slavery or genocide. But it starts really at really young ages. And all of us, you know, look at Pocahontas, you know, movies like that, right? Uh, Aladdin and different things. And these types of things normalize a lot of the ignorance towards different cultures. And Africa has been no different, if not probably the first group to really experience it on this level. And Tarzan, every 10 years, it just never dies. It's just like, yo, for real, I don't care what version of Tarzan it comes out. I'm not trying to see it. And it just needs to be gone. And I don't know about y'all, but Ivory Costi and Gorillas passed for Africans in those Tintin cartoons. Popular cartoon sketches across the continent. The Africans in there look like animals. And uh, he's probably, and if you remove Marvin Marsh's helmet from Looney Tunes, he's probably an illegal African alien or famine-stricken African child if his belly protruded. Obviously, Marvin Martian being very dark and his head being covered. But I'm playing off of those images of famine-stricken children. These convoluted images have helped create grown-up policymakers who partially base their opinions of our homeland from films such as Congo, Gorillas in the Mist, and the air up there. We can't forget Tears of the Sun, which left too many tears on the sons and daughters of Africa searching for a positive portrayal of who we are. Look, you know, y'all who know uh, Kendra, as well as myself, you know, we've done a lot of work. Uh, before we got into a lot of the stuff we're doing now, these international development careers, we saw a lot of this stuff firsthand, you know, where people will say things like, you know, um, I saw these images and it made me want to help. It made me want to get out there and do this and do that. And there's so many issues that come along with that. You know, you're viewing people from a paternalistic view from the beginning, from jump. You end up coming in with a I know better than you type of attitude and mentality. And the work you end up doing ends up being more problematic. There's an Aboriginal saying that says, if you're coming because you want to help, stay home. But if you're coming because you believe our destinies are intertwined, then let's work together. And I believe that a lot of people don't really humble themselves when it comes into dealing with people um, on the African continent in the realm of international development, which is why, you know, both Kendra and I kind of left it and do work in our own spaces relating to that, but not at the level we do as it relates to many of these organizations. A lot of these organizations do a great job, but there's a little bit of imperialistic mentality that exists in some of them that we have to challenge and we have to speak up on. And I ain't got no problem speaking on that. Next week, my next poem will probably be What Does Development Aid Really Mean? Which is where I read by Kendra on my album, Signs at a Time. So let's wrap this up. But that won't happen until we as Africans take responsibility for our portrayal. Because the betrayal, yes, I call it a betrayal. Because the betrayal of our friends from CBS, Fox, and CNN means that we will never see an end 
to these characterizations of the continent of human creation, which has to make it look like she's on a deathbed and ready for cremation. So I'm playing off of CNN, the station, and then playing, and then coupling that with CNN, E-N-D, to these characterizations, which has to make it look like she's ready for cremation. But we have to show the world that our mother Africa is strong, vibrant, and defiant, because the pulse of nearly a billion people will never die once we take control of what the world sees. And so we can never comply with pictures painted by pessimists on TV of our homeland. Because we, you and me, we are the pulse of Mother Africa. And we must now show the world how proudly we will stand. So that's Pulse of the Motherland from the lens of my poetry. I saw some people who are coming in and joining. So I felt whack just, you know shutting off as soon as you joined in. So, you know, added added this extra piece for you today. I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're doing this every Friday. You can join in on Instagram or as well as Facebook as well. We want to get on YouTube, so follow us on youtube.com slash Congo so we can get enough subscribers there so we can get the YouTube live going so we can have the three camera action going. I really appreciate that. This is what I do. You can check out all of the poetry. It's available on iTunes. You can just go and type in my name. You can go on... Thanks, Tibbs. I appreciate that. Uh, you can go on iTunes, you can go on Barnes & Noble, you can go on Amazon. Everywhere this stuff is sold and downloadable. You can also do that. You can also type in my name on bandcamp.com. There's a lot of free stuff there as well. But feel free to check out these poems and share them and let people know that they can tune in for some spoken word, some hip-hop as well, possibly in the coming weeks. You all take care. Most importantly, be safe. See you next time. Peace. Peace out. Great stuff, guys. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.